Okay, we have just finished up Daniel chapter 5. And let me reiterate from Daniel chapter 5, verse 30. Daniel chapter 5, verse 30 says, That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. So this is, again, not Darius the Persian, this is Darius the Mede. The Medo-Persian Empire was united at this point. Cyrus was the premier king. He was over the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. He assigned Darius, a Mede, to take over this province of Babylon, Babylon and all its surrounding areas. This is not the Persian king Darius. In fact, there are three Darush or Darius kings of Persia that will follow uh, uh, King Cyrus. There will be Darius the first, and then some space, Darius the second, and then some space, Darius the third. This is Darius the Mede, and uh, uh, so that we, we understand who we're talking about. And so let's turn over to, um, to Daniel chapter 6 now. And we're going to read about this... this uh, this King Darius, who's over the province of Babylon, who has been assigned by Cyrus to take care of the province of Babylon. And uh, uh, so let's see what it has to say. Daniel chapter, chapter 6, reading from verse 1. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over, and over them, three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Okay, so at this point, at this point in time, Daniel is in his mid-80s, probably around 85 or 86 years old. So even at that advanced age, he has distinguished himself. Remember in the last chapter, he, he had uh, prophesied that Belshazzar's kingdom would come to an end, and it did that very same night. And immediately, Daniel was recognized by Darius. So Darius didn't just come in and kill everybody. Darius came in and, and in fact, much has been written about the accounts of the conquering of Babylon, both here in the Bible and in, not, in extra-biblical accounts. In fact, you can read an account from King Cyrus himself has an account. And without, without quote-unquote, a shot being fired. So they did not have to destroy the city in order to take it. Uh, so they were able to take that city that very night by diverting the Euphrates River, which went underneath the wall, and they got into the city. And Daniel rose up very rapidly. Now, one of the things about Daniel, remember, he is a eunuch, so he had been castrated as a young man somewhere between the ages of 15 or 20. And what's known biologically is that eunuchs will generally live about 10 years, <clears throat> 10 years longer than people of their generation just because of the biological changes that take place. The other thing that we know about Daniel, as far as his time in, the, in, in Babylon, certainly for his time in Babylon when he was, was told to eat from the king's table, 
And since they were so full of idols, he did not eat meat. He, he ate a vegetarian life. So when you have a low caloric diet, we know that that also can add about a decade on to a lifetime. So this is why Daniel was actually quite old and he lived to be about 90 years old. So he's going to live three years into the serving of Darius, who was now under Cyrus. So King Darius has appointed 120 satraps, so he's appointed 120 men to oversee this Babylon, this area of Babylon, which was under Babylonian rule, under Nebuchadnezzar, and then most recently, uh, Nabonidus. Nabonidus was the king of Babylon when it was taken, but he wasn't there during the taking of it. At that time, he had already been captured in a battle and he was already imprisoned by Cyrus in Persia. Belshazzar was killed that night, that it was taken over, but Daniel began to rise up. So he appointed 120 men, but then over those 120, Darius appointed three. These were very smart men. Don't think that because they lived 2,500 years ago that uh, uh, they weren't sharp. These were extremely sharp men. Remember how they planned to to influence young men and to teach them to be secretaries and ministers in their kingdom. It was extremely well calculated. And so they needed to set up order. And as they would set up order, he appointed 120 men. We might call them the equivalent of governors, say, of different regions. Three men over them. Daniel was one of those three. So Daniel, you had had, uh, uh, King Cyrus in Persia. Now you had Darius under him over this province of Babylon, which was a huge province. Not just the city, it's the surrounding areas. And, and, then around, uh, and, and, then, and then right under him were three men, Daniel being one of them. It says, it says that uh, um, uh, there were these three commissioners, Daniel was one of them, so that the king might not suffer loss. So the king had great trust in these people. Interestingly, the king did not choose all Medes or Medes and Persians to serve in that upper tier of his people. Actually, what he did is he chose Daniel. Now, Daniel was a transplant, but Daniel had served for about 66 years at this point. So Daniel knew Babylon very, very well. He had been Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man. He had served under four other kings. And now, now he, he, uh, <clears throat> he is put in this place so that the king doesn't suffer loss. This is actually a very smart thing to do. What you do is you take expatriates, you take locals from that area, even though now it's, it's Medo-Persia, and you set them up to watch over your kingdom. This is what you do because he knew how it worked. He knew what the provinces were. He knew what type of productivity could come in from these places. He didn't want to suffer any loss, so he put Daniel in one of, this pla- one of these places. But it says that the king didn't want to suffer loss, and says, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the con- commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Now, the, the New International Version talks about uh, talent, uh, extraordinary talent or something like that. And this, is, this particular chapter is one of the chapters in Daniel that is written not in Hebrew, but written in Aramaic. Daniel was quite fluent in Aramaic. Remember, he had been trained in Aramaic when he was a student there in, in, uh, in the Babylonian school. 
and he's writing in Aramaic, and I've, I've gone back to the literal translation of it, and it is indeed, the literal translation is indeed extraordinary spirit. This is an amazing thing to say, that he distinguished himself because of an extraordinary spirit. And so the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. King Darius realized that Daniel could do a better job running the kingdom than Darius himself. So why not just appoint this guy and then, you know, I can kick back, just send me the check in the mail. Daniel could do a good job even at his advanced age, generally. When men, are, and, and when men are at that age, they begin to slow down a little bit, certainly in their mind. You, you talk to somebody in their mid-80s, and you get responses that can be quite cogent, but generally it's a little slow in the response, a little bit delayed. Things begin to slow down. The neurons just don't fire quite as quickly. Daniel must have been an extremely smart man, but it said that he had an extraordinary spirit. Something about an extraordinary spirit. There was something about the depth of his relationship with God that distinguished him among others. This is a key for you. What will distinguish you among others is, is that when you have a depth of relationship with God, it will distinguish you from others. Others will be drawn to you. Others will recognize something in you. This comes only by spending time with God. I can see this. When I meet somebody, I can see that they spend a lot of time with God, if they spend a lot of time with God, because it just flows out of it. You know, I'll meet people and, and we'll be introduced, and, and uh, as we're talking, I can see this is a person of prayer. This is a person who spends a lot of time, and as I start to engage with them and talk with them, you're just drawn. It says that Moses... When he would come out of God's presence, Moses' face would shine. <clears throat> there was this Shekinah glory that would just drop upon him, and it said his face would shine so much, he had to put a veil over his face because people couldn't take it. But it would say, over time then, he was able to remove that veil. So this is, this is very interesting. As we spend time away from God, I mean, the aura starts to go. You spend time daily with God, people will see this difference. People will begin to see it. If you spend time with God, they'll begin to see it and they'll want to be around you. You will be one of the people that people want to be around if you spend time with God. It will change your demeanor. It will change your attitude on life. It will change you from being critical and, 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 and uh, uh, complaining like everyone else around you to be having a much more positive outlook on life because you know what the end is. This is an extraordinary spirit that comes by spending time with the Lord. This extraordinary spirit didn't just bring Daniel up in the religious circles. It brought Daniel up in his professional circles. This is what I'm telling you. You can begin to be brought up in your professional careers if you will spend time with God. People will see some difference in you. They will see an extraordinary spirit and you will be brought up. This only comes by spending time with God. And there, it's very easy to see through it when it's artificial. Very easy to see through it. You spend time with God and people will begin to see it. He had this extraordinary spirit. 
says in verse 4, Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So this is the first indication that we are going to get, and then it happens throughout Israel's history. Throughout the history of the Jews, we see this. So remember what God's teaching them. How do you live when you are not under Jewish rule? How do you live under Gentile rule? And this is what we're seeing. One of the patterns you're going to see, starting at this point, is that Jews will rise up very rapidly to the top levels of government. They will not be running other countries, but they'll rise up to top levels. You see it in governments all around the world. They will control huge amounts of industry, banking industries. They will control the jewelry industries, the diamond industries. And, and uh, I, was, I, was, uh, I think I had mentioned this before. I was in the UK not too long ago reading portions of the Magna Carta. And they're talking about if you want to invest money, invest it with a Jew. In the Magna Carta, it says this. And, and uh, um, so, so it, it's, it, it's really telling how you're going to rise up. But the other thing we see here is that there will be jealousy because of their position and people will try to pull them down. This is the beginning of it. The same thing will happen in the life of the believer. What we see happening in the life of the Jew living in the diaspora is exactly the same thing in our lives as believers. As believers, when we function in the world, in a world that is where governance of, of nations is, is generally not by believers, how do we respond? Sometimes when God blesses us and we rise up, there is a spirit of jealousy that can rise up and others may try to pull you down. So be not surprised. Be not surprised if this happens in your life. And so what they did is they tried to find a ground of accusation against Daniel. So they started looking through all his books and seeing and you know, talking to people. Has he, has he ever cut corners on this? Has he ever cut you a deal? So, you know, has he ever taken money on the side? And particularly in the Near East, in that generation, in, those, in, in, in past times, in the Near East, it was not hard to, to undergo a character assassination. I mean, if people wanted to get together and start trying to shoot down a life, they could certainly do that. So there must have been a huge outcry of people when they started looking for dirt on Daniel saying, that guy? There is no way you're going to find anything on him. He is the nicest guy. I mean, he takes only what he's supposed to take from us in, 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 in taxes, and he does this, and he turns all of that over to the king. I mean, they were checking everything on Daniel. They checked his emails. They checked his Twitter account. I mean, everything they checked on the guy, and they couldn't find anything on Daniel that would allow them. So this is the first attack. This is the first conspiracy against Daniel. And the conspiracy is by all of these governors, plus the other two commissioners, plus the other two uh, uh, that are at Daniel's level, are all bound together to try to pull him down. Why? Because they have heard that King Darius is going to put the whole kingdom underneath this guy. That's how good he was in admin, at administration. Darius was a smart man. You find a good administrator, turn it over to them. If you take a course in, in leadership, 
and I've taken courses in leadership here at this church. They, this was a, 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 a video course that they had for, for uh, I don't know, six or eight weeks. It was great. If you want to be able to go up to the next level in your job, what happens is you get saturated. You, you just can't take on anything else. You can't do anymore. The only way that you can go to the next level is you commit that task to others and that frees you up to move on to the next level. And so this is what he's doing. He's committing the task of running this kingdom to Daniel. He says, he can do it. I'll turn it over to him. These other hear it. They want to undergo a character assassination to bring this guy down. We're going to take him out. And so they couldn't find any corruption. So verse 5 talks about the second conspiracy. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. So we're, gonna, we're going to have to go after his religious faith. And this is the first attack that you're going to see, the first open attack on Judaism. And you will see this throughout Jewish history from this point onward. You'll see it throughout Jewish history where they will attack in the name of their religion. In the name of the religion. We're going to find something against him in regard to the law of his God. But they couldn't. They couldn't find anything against him in regard to the law of his God. In other words, does the law of his God put him contrary to the political system that is functioning there in Babylon under Darius? And the answer is no. Nothing that Daniel was doing was contrary to the law of the land. Because, because in Babylon and throughout much of the ancient world, you never had to change your religion when your, 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 uh, um, when your nation was overcome. You could practice your religion. All you had to do was confess that whatever gods you had, they were subservient to the God who was over that nation. That's basically what they had to do. Daniel was functioning just fine because he never had to verbalize anything. You remember the, that uh, these other three would not bow down to that idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and God delivered them from that fire. But these men could find nothing, so they have to invent some law that he's going to disobey. In verse 6, Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. So you see, they, they came together and they actually lied. They said that all of, all of the commissioners, all of the satraps, everyone were all in agreement that this what you should do. They lied. Daniel never agreed to this. So what they had to do is they had to fabricate something. So they're fabricating now a lie. One day, people will fabricate lies about you and try to get you in trouble. 
Be not alarmed. Remember, I'm warning you, this will happen to you someday. All those who desire to walk godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer. These things will happen to you. Be not alarmed. It's happened throughout history. It's happening right here to Daniel. They formed together, they massed together, and they formed this lie. And what did they do? They appealed to King Darius, and they appealed to, 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 to pump him up in his own mind and to say, for a period of 30 days, let's just have it so that nobody should make a, an appeal to any god except you, a, 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 except you, that everything is going to have to go through you. That they, and, and so this is, this is what they start to pull together. And so they, 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 here's the exact words. They say that anyone who makes a petition to any God or man besides you. So in other words, you're going you're, you're gonna to be the focus point. Everything's going to have to go through you. They've got to make their appeal through you. Now, no Jew could ever agree to this if they wanted to walk properly as a Jew. They just couldn't agree to this. And they said just 30 days because they knew that Daniel was a man of prayer and 30 days was going to be plenty to catch him. They had already scoped him out and they knew his practice. And they said, let him be thrown into the lion's den. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar did? Nebuchadnezzar threw men into fire. The Persians would never allow that. The Persians had, to them, fire was something that was a holy thing. They would not kill people in fire. <clears throat> so, so, but they would use wild animals. And so this was to throw them into the lion's den. And so he signed the document. This sounds kind of good. Everybody's going to have to make their petitions through me. You appeal to a human and their ego. And this is exactly what they did. Therefore, he signed the injunction. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day and praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true according to the law of Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and they spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you have signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then, as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed, and, his mind, and he set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself, trying to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. We saw with Nebuchadnezzar, he could make a new decree and then he was never bound by that decree. He could just change it in an instant. Nebuchadnezzar was a monarch. As we move into Medo-Persia, what we're beginning to see is a law in a land 
that the king himself is not above the law. And then this is going to be underscored. So we've gone from the head of gold in that, in that dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon is that head of gold. We are in this kingdom of silver, the Medo-Persian, and then we're going to move into, in, into, into uh, Greece. And there in Greece you see much more developed laws. But this idea that the king is not above the law actually started long before in Israel. The idea that the king is not above the law started actually long before that. Let's look in, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17. And God is giving instruction in Deuteronomy about what should happen when you, when you, uh, when you get a king. So let's look in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. This is God's instruction long before Israel got a king. This is his instruction to them about their king. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it and live in it and you say, I will set a king over me like the kings of the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among, among your own countrymen you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord your God said, You shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now, none of Israel's kings including David. None of them ever followed this pattern. None of them. But this is what was prescribed for them. And had they followed it, it would have kept them out of a lot of trouble. They were not to multiply horses for themselves. In other words, they were not supposed to make themselves rich. Boy, that'd be a great lesson for our governing officials. They were not supposed to make themselves rich and then he said, they're not supposed to multiply wives. He's not supposed to multiply wives for himself. When you go from one to two, you've multiplied wives for yourself. All right? They were not supposed to do that. Every one of them did it. From King Saul through King David and all of them. And it caused them a lot of trouble. The people were allowed in that generation to multiply wives for themselves. But the king was not. The king had to maintain a different standard. The king was to maintain a standard that was actually higher than his subjects. He wasn't to multiply wives for himself or else his heart would turn away. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. Solomon had uh, 700 wives, 300 concubines, and they said he just drew his heart away. I mean, that guy had a rough time with all this. Imagine the shopping bills, <laughs> the things that would come in. And they were not to greatly increase silver or gold for himself. Now here it is in verse 18. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, 
so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. If we would learn to follow this, our lives would be so much better. Look what the king had to do. It shall come about when he sits on his throne. So as soon as he assumes the throne, this is what God has designated for him. He is to write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of Levitical priests. He is to take the first five books of Moses, and he is supposed to take them and write a copy of the law on a scroll in the presence of the priest to make sure that he didn't get even one word wrong. You write out your own copy on a scroll. You write that out. Big things. You go into a, a synagogue today, you will see the, 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 the Torah, the first five books on big scrolls. And they'll lay those out and they'll read them. They, they have this little knife blade they put and they, they, they just track along to read it. He was supposed to write his own copy on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. Now you might say, well, you know, it's hard to carry that scroll around. That's why I didn't bring my Bible today. No, it says, it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. Every day he is to read the Word of God. This is what the Lord puts before us. You want the standard, the high standard of the Lord? This is it. You live above what is expected of you in the culture. They weren't to multiply wives. They weren't supposed to be fighting to make themselves rich. And he says, you are to take the Word of God and read it every day of your life. Well, why should he do that? Why? Here's why. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. By reading the Word of God and carefully observing it, we learn to fear God. And the fear of God keeps us out of sin. The fear of God keeps us from trouble. Whoever touches his neighbor's wife will in no way go unpunished, the Scriptures say. If that doesn't cause fear in your heart, it's because you don't understand exactly what the Lord will allow to happen to your life when He says there is no way you will go unpunished. It says, all your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien if you do this. And I've seen this happen to men where they've lost everything. They've lost their jobs, they've lost their careers, they've lost their families, they've lost their money, they lose everything when they partake in this. And the shame that they have to carry as a result. He says that you are to learn to fear the Lord your God by carefully observing. When we read the Scriptures and meditate on them, we learn to observe the Word of God and we learn to fear. Without looking at the Word of God, we don't know. And how is reading the Bible? You read the Bible and as you read it, you're, you're going, uh-oh, uh-oh. I have to change my life. This is exactly what should happen. You should be stopped as you read the Scriptures because God has a high standard for His people. He's caused us to be different than the people of the world. And this is why we don't sleep around. This is why we don't do many things that other people of the world might do. Because He's called us to be different. And look what else it says. It says that His heart may not be lifted up above His countrymen. It is so easy for a king's heart to be lifted up above his countrymen. Let me give you an example. You're a freshman. You come in. You want to be friends with people. You don't want to be nice. You want to form the right groups and everything. Then all of a sudden you're a sophomore 
And these freshmen come in and you can kind of blow them up a freshman. They don't have any friends. I'm going to have a lot of friends. I'm comfortable here. Has this feeling ever crept into your heart? It's just one little change from freshman to sophomore. Can you imagine being king? Wherever you, everywhere you go, you're a rock star. Everybody is falling down. Or all the teenage girls are screaming. You're a rock star. You know what that will do to a young man's head? And he will, he will just, just think of himself as, as far more than he, he really is. It's, a, it, it's amazing that professional athletes don't get into more trouble. It really is, in my view. You get a basketball player that signs some $50 million contract when they're 19 years old. I mean, can you imagine being your age, $50 million, and wherever you go, people think you're just so tremendous? What will that do to your mind? How do you protect from that? The Scriptures tell us. When you take this book and you meditate on it, it'll put the fear of God in you, and it is only by this it keeps your heart from being lifted up. And if you think, oh, well, this doesn't really pertain to me, I'm just a student, oh, it'll pertain to you. And before you know it, you'll graduate and you'll have a job, and you start moving up, and people go, oh, you're from Rice? Oh, you start, hey, I kind of recognize what I'm like. And, and you, you'll start thinking you're really something. And the Scriptures say, you need to fear God so that your heart may not be lifted up above your countrymen, so that you may not turn aside from the commandment. As soon as our hearts start becoming puffy, and we start thinking that we're more than we really are, we start speaking in a condescending attitude to others. I see this all the time slipping into my life, and I, I have this... This uh, uh, little sheet of paper in my, in my uh, desk drawer that um, Watchman Nee had written, a passage that Watchman Nee had written, where he talks about how King Solomon, his fundamental problem was conceit, that he became conceited. He had started out lowly, but he became conceited. And it's, he, he finishes up, he says, may God keep us little in our own eyes. So every time I hire a secretary, I take that out and I make him a copy of this, I say, this is a passage about King Solomon. If ever I treat you wrongly, if ever I treat you in a condescending manner, just say to me, King Solomon, and I'll know exactly what you mean. Just say to me, King Solomon. None of them have ever said it. One said to me one day, she said, remember last week, she says, I almost pulled out that slip of paper. <laughs> if we're going to tell you King Solomon. But... But this is, this is what, what happens is we have to take the Word of God. It keeps us humble in our own eyes because it's so easy to get exalted in our own eyes. He says, so, so, because as soon as we do, we turn aside from the commandments so that He won't turn aside to the right or the left and so that His sons may continue long in His kingdom in the midst of Israel. You want it to go well for your children? You take this book of the law and you make it your daily meditation. You are to read this book Every day of your life. You don't have to carry around big scrolls with you. You just keep it on your phone. It's all there. Take this book and make it your meditation. Because you are not above the law. This whole idea is that we are bound by the laws of the Scriptures. We are bound by this law. This is for us as believers. For the unbeliever, God speaks into our life. There are so many things that we can try to do. The way the Bible describes it is this. The Bible says, says that we are, 
unable to overcome sin in and of ourselves. We are unable to do it. Paul puts it this way. He says, the very thing that I wish I could do, that I want to do, I end up not doing. And the very thing that I don't want to do, I end up doing. He he says, uh, O wicked man, who is able to save me from this wicked soul? Uh, And and he says, he he talks about his his wicked flesh. And he says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our, our Lord. To the unbeliever, there is hope in Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us power to overcome. There is nothing in me that can cause me to conform to this word. It is by the grace of God and the grace of God alone is what He places in our lives. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. And I pray for these young people. Lord, as You start bringing them up in this world, Father, I pray that they would remember this Word today. That only daily in the Scriptures will they be able to fear You as they ought so that their heads and their hearts do not rise up above that of their countrymen. And Father, I pray that You so work in their hearts that that when things come against them in life because of a stand that they may take, Father, I pray that You draw them close to You, that they would see that this is not unusual in the course of human history. And Father, that they would learn from this man Daniel and what he did, his uncompromising attitude to continue to pray to You. Father, I pray for these young people, Your grace to be upon them. And Lord, for those here who don't know You, draw them to Jesus. Open up their hearts, I pray. May the goodness of the Lord be upon them. May it be the goodness of the Lord that draws them. Father, we thank You for the glory of Jesus. Amen.